0: Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you gotta know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew? Important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the do. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you gotta know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary? Not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew? Important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth do the do at Mountain Dew. We'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew zero sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice cold Mountain Dew zero sugar. It's zero sugar. All do.
1: All right, welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lipschitz. I am here, as always, with Lance Brozdowski. We have a very special guest. I think this is our third, fourth time on the show. Emily Walden, every time she comes on, she's writing for even more uh, well-established, well-known, renowned, world-renowned publications. She's just added Baseball America onto uh, her, 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 her tally. Not another notch in her belt. In The Athletic, Emily, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, guys. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you. You had a uh, a long weekend, I believe, of looks in the Midwest League, which we're going to get into. Um, and we're going to talk about the Tiger system, most important, as you are uh, now the correspondent for Baseball America. Correct me if I'm wrong there.
2: That is correct, That yeah. is
0: awesome. That is really cool. And uh, we're excited, as always, to have you on and, and to talk some Tigers baseball. So do we want to start there, Ralph? Do we want to start there? Because I think the yeah, leader of the it. clubhouse for what we want thoughts on, Emily, is has got to be Casey Mize. I think that the most interesting – talent in the Tiger system is probably pitching based. There's guys like Wenzel Perez and, and Meadows and stuff that I think that are, are guys you've seen a bit, and we'll probably get into them a little bit, but I think we should stick towards the pitching side, maybe talk some Burroughs, Scooball, some uh, Manning, and especially Casey Mize. So with Casey Mize specifically, Emily, did you expect this season to be the season that he jumped all the way into the mo- top 10, I would say, probably on most lists and uh, in the debate for top pitching pro- prospect in baseball? Did you see this coming?
2: You know, I think we all expected Casey to do well, and I think he even exceeded everybody's expectations just because of the fact that he came into the organization so advanced. He got a little bit of downtime, got to rest a little bit, and he showed he could handle the pressure. The Tigers were aware they wouldn't have to baby him um, just because of he him showing that durability while he was at Auburn. And obviously going into his AA debut and during a complete game no-hitter you know, it sets the bar pretty high. And I actually joked with him about it. And I said, you realize you're going to have to throw shutouts every single time you start now, right? (laughs) And he goes, I know. I don't know why I did that.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. And uh, growth with him, too, is another thing. So I, I find him fascinating just because he seems like he has so many pitches. I feel like he's going to be... One of these pitchers who comes up and stack ass is going to have a ton of problems like splitting out what he's throwing exactly because everything seems to move in a variety of directions and uh, different speeds and stuff. And his velocity bands seem to overlap a lot. So I'm interested in in almost what you think or who you've talked to in terms of what the development path is for him. Like what are the next steps for him to become even better than he is? Because I have to imagine there's something on the radar, even though he's pretty advanced as a college pitcher.
2: Oh, absolutely. And he obviously is going to be his biggest critic. Um, Casey's Mm -hmm. very much a competitor. Um, He's a perfectionist. He wants to be his absolute best. And we all kind of laughed because after he threw that no hitter, um, his first comment was, you know, hey, Casey, you just threw a no hitter. What are you thinking right now? And he goes, man, my fastball command was terrible. (laughs) That, That was his focus. That was the biggest takeaway he had. And I think for him, obviously, he praised his teammates for some really good defensive backup. Um, But for him, he's always so focused on being absolutely the best he can be. And that speaks really highly of his abilities for one and then two of his character, which I think is huge. Um, And I know right now the Tigers don't see a need to push him unnecessarily quickly. Obviously, the major league club is not quite a contender at the moment, (laughs) putting it nicely. Um, And so I think for them right now, um, guys like A.J. Sager, the Tigers pitching coordinator and some of the other roving instructors, they're just focusing on letting him sort of come into his own as a minor league pitcher, because even for college arms, minor league baseball is a whole nother animal. You ask scouts and players that they're going to agree You've got to find yourself in the minor league circuit before you're going to be able to make that jump to the major league level.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is your kind of projected ETA right now, do you think? Conservative you
2: estimate. know, yeah, I would say I'm looking for him to get promoted to Toledo soon, honestly. Um, I'm guessing probably another couple of weeks. Um, maybe, you know, it could be a bit longer. It just really depends. And it's hard to read the front office right now because I know that they don't want to be too aggressive, but they also don't want to let him sit there and not be challenged. So I think they're probably going to give him a couple more looks and then let him make that jump to AAA. And I think if that goes well, we could see him up in Detroit by September. Um, But my hope is that they don't push him too hard, just because we know that long-term he's going to have to be one of those key pieces um, within the rebuild for the organization.
0: Interesting. And Ralph, I believe you saw Matt Manning, or did you see Mize? I know you've seen Mize once or I've seen, twice, right?
1: I've seen Mice. I've seen Mice. 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 Men and Mice. <laughs> I've seen uh, Casey Mize twice now. I saw him in Lakeland versus uh, uh, Palm, Palm Beach, right? And uh, I was going to say Palm Springs, but that's in California. Uh, against Palm Beach, uh, and that, you know, weaker lineup. Um, and he really dominated that day, funny enough, with his fastball. And... That's not really, and I think Emily would probably agree with me on this. That's not really necessarily his strength. It's his ability to use his fastball um, and and really, you know, get ahead on guys early and then start to just dominate with his slider and his splitter. And I think the thing with his splitter that I found so fascinating is he's able to manipulate that pitch so much that he can sort of get break just sort of either side of the plate. He can get glove side uh, break. You can get, you know, the drop over uh, onto his arm side as well. So we can attack both righties and lefties with that pitch. And the same thing with the slider, um, you know, the cutter was used a little bit less frequently in, in both starts that I saw. It's definitely not on the same plane, in my opinion, as that slider, which I think is a true plus plus pitch uh, and the same with the splitter. I mean, he has, two secondaries that I think are hard 60s and you know if you put a 70 grade on a 7 grade on I, I wouldn't have an issue with it um, he had probably the best secondaries I've seen um, of, of any pitcher that I've watched this year and probably over the last couple of years um, he's phenomenal and it's funny in the Hartford start which was a much better lineup pretty solid lineup decent hitters park uh, based on the numbers and you know he didn't really have a fastball command in, in the first two innings and then all of a sudden he came out in the third and it was like, he was pitching angry and he just dominated from there on out. I think he came out in the fifth and he almost, he almost just scrapped the fastball and just started working off of uh, his secondary the third time through the order. And, you know, guys like uh, Colton Welker um, really, really couldn't catch up to it. And, and Welker at that point, I had seen him about five or six times already early in the season. And he hadn't really been dominated by anyone. And I saw him against some decent arms, Ben Bramer, Starling Sharp, um, both guys that have pitched pretty well this season, lefty righty. And I mean, he just, he made him look, he, he baffled him. It was like three pitches, you know, three pitch strikeouts of, of Welker, which isn't, isn't common, uh, at least at that point. And yeah, I mean, he's pretty phenomenal. Um, is he on the schedule? I haven't looked actually, so forgive my negligence, but is he on the schedule to pitch this week? I know that we obviously had the scare last week where everyone was a little nervous that his UCL popped turned out to be a sore shoulder. Um, what's the situation with the injury, Emily?
2: Um, As of right now, and I was just looking over my notes to make sure I had this all up to date, he is still on the I.L. Um, The Tigers haven't said specifically when they are going to take him off. Um, I think it's more precaution than anything. Obviously, you're looking at one of the biggest investments they've made in recent years. So for them, I think it's just to let him kind of lay low and kind of playing off what you said earlier, too. Um, The biggest takeaway I had from his complete game no-hitter was how he jumped right out and said, you know, my fastball command was an issue. You get to look at that and say, okay, fastball wasn't working for him, so he's going to default to a secondary. And he was able to throw a complete game no hitter on almost entirely secondary work. So I think that goes to show you how valuable that is. Obviously, his splitter was insanely high as far as his pitches were ranked. And you're looking at, yeah, sixes pretty much across the board, a seven or so mixed in there. And he's moving along really well. So right now, you're just got to make sure he's healthy. Um, we don't want him to end up on the same path as Franklin Perez. So rest his soul.
1: <laughs> pitches tonight. Pitched tonight in Lakeland, though. Did he not?
2: He did. He pitched tonight in Lakeland. Oh, I'm but glad to hear pretty that. Pretty decent showing, and obviously, you know the Tigers are going to treat him with kid gloves because I firmly stand on this. Franklin Perez has a very, very advanced pitch mix, and for him, it's just a matter of keeping that elbow good, keeping that shoulder good. Not rushing it. He's still relatively young. I think there's still plenty of gas in the tank, but that body has to hold up and the pitches will carry him the rest of the way.
0: I love it. And another arm that I definitely want to dig into a little bit who's fascinated Mm -hmm. me a little bit just because he's 6'6 and he's an individual who seems to have a bit of control, which I feel like is something that escapes a lot of guys above like the 6'4", 6'5". Um, window of height in terms of how much they have to sync up in their bodies and mature physically before they're able to command the ball. But it seems like Matt Manning to some extent has over, uh, a pretty good amount of command, maybe control at least, with his. Uh, I think he's got like a sub 10%. Yeah, he's had a sub 10% walk rate for each of the last yeah. two seasons after a couple years of it being a little bit high. But it seems like he's really coming to his own. And uh, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts, Emily, on kind of his ascension, because I feel like he's moved a little quicker than I expected him to. I think a lot of people project him out as like an above average to 60 grade guy. Um, This is probably, you know, I think a little bit more volatile of an arm than Casey Mines. He seems to have a higher floor. But um, I guess your thoughts on... uh, Manning here Emily and uh, if you see a lot of this control sustaining or if you see kind of some of it falling back as he hits higher levels and I guess the same thing for the strikeouts do you think this is a mix that's going to survive on upper levels on his uh, I think predominantly fastball curveball mix
2: Yeah, I would say that um, it's definitely a profile I can see sustaining up at the higher levels. I know most scouts I've spoken to recently um, tend to have him as a number three Mm -hmm. um, as far as projection goes, and some even as generous as a two. I know a lot of people within the fan base are going, he's going to be an ace. The term ace is used far too loosely Mm -hmm. and not to discredit Matt Manning or Casey Mize, Not all Scouts even have Casey Mize as a number one. That's a little bit split. A lot of them have him as a number two-ish. You know, that's more of the, the, I guess, appropriate title, if you will. And so I think it's, it's really opening people's eyes to how much it takes to be labeled as an ace. You know, the guys like Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, these guys who are just consistently dominant up through their careers and just have such overwhelming stuff. Not to say that Matt and Casey can't get there, but the joy of evaluation is you're putting your own label on based on what you see now. And then you kind of have to play the waiting game to see if all those pieces come together, as well as the club knowing how to develop properly and get them to where they need to be. So I think for Matt Manning, his off-speed stuff has gotten much better. Um, I know he told me last year when I talked to him in Florida, um, he was really happy with the progress of his uh, curveball specifically and said he liked the way that that was coming along. Um, And obviously he's going to be a big strikeout arm. I think that's one of his strengths. He's a big strikeout guy. And for him, it's just a matter of maintaining that poise. Um, The poise was really something that stood out to me the first time I saw him throw. Um, That was back in the Gulf Coast League. And watched him throw and just amazed, like you said, Lance, at how just put together he is for being as tall as he is. Because it's a lot of leg and a lot of arm that -hmm. you have to work with. And he's maintained that very, very well. And I think he only gets better from here.
0: I love it, Ralph. Your thoughts on Manning? Um, I, kn- I think you missed him out in Hartford, but I have to. Imagine yeah, I did.
1: I, I mean, I've watched him a few times. Uh, unfortunately, it's only been on Milb TV. But yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't make that start that night. I had some some dad stuff come up. I had a baseball game that got rescheduled to that night. So, unfortunately, I had a bang out on Manning. I uh, would have liked to have joined my buddy Eric Cross. Uh, there, I know he came down for both starts, and actually did was fortunate enough to catch both guys. Last time I saw Manning, wasn't short season ball back in 2017, and I think the thing that struck me then. And it's what still strikes me now with Manning is the untapped potential, just because of the elite athleticism uh, that he possesses in that massive frame. You know, you don't see a lot of guys that are six foot six that you know move as fluidly as uh, uh, as Manning does. And I think there's been some progression this year, even with the changeup. It's still an inconsistent pitch. I know there's some folks out there throwing you know plus grades on it. Um, it will flash that at times, but there's other times where it's it's not quite there. Um, but, it, you know, his fastball curveball mix is is as good as you, it gets. And for me, if I'm looking at it, you know, taking a step back just from the scouting, the minor league stuff, um, and just looking at it from like a dynasty fantasy perspective, we are on Razzball, so I'll, I'll put that spin on it. He, you know, I think at this point, just because he's in double A, um, it's him and Mackenzie Gore for me in, in terms of like the two best potential fantasy arms just because of that strikeout upside uh, and how good I think potentially he can be. So I, the question I wanted to ask Emily, and I don't want to put yeah. you on the spot here and certainly you don't have to answer the question. You can, you can, you can politicize it if you'd like. Um, but Manning versus, versus Mize. Cause I know that that was, you know, when I was talking about Mize early in the season, because it's who I had seen and I felt like I was a little low on Mize and I wanted to to come out and say, Hey, I was low on this guy He's better than I thought. There's more potential here than I even thought. And, you know, some of the worries that you might have heard whispers, some of the reports that you got early on, um, maybe we gave we put a little too much credence in it because he was coming off of, you know, a lot of innings in Auburn, had had the forearm strain, I think, the, the uh, his, his sophomore year. And, you know, we saw the full extent of what Casey Mize was. So Mize versus Manning. I mean, if you had to pick one... Um, that you feel will be, you know, the ace going forward. I don't want to use that term in terms of like, they're going to be an ace, but if you had to bet your money on this guy is going to be better than this guy, I don't want to make you have the Sophie's choice, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Anyway, would you go Manning or Mize?
2: You would not believe how many times I get asked this question. I got asked it a
1: lot. (laughs) So I know you get asked that question. I'm going to, I'm deferring to you as the Tigers expert.
2: And it's funny too. A lot of, a lot of the fan base will ask that too. And just say, you know, who, who would you choose one over the other? And I think in the long run, I'm giving a slight edge to Casey Mize. That being, um, I think the pitch mix that he has is more advanced. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the pitches that Manning has are going to be extremely valuable. They're still the top two arms in the system, in my opinion. Um, Easily I put those two at the top, but When it comes to their overall profiles, what they have already, um, I wanna say they're maybe like a year, year and a half apart, if I remember correctly. Um, So not like a huge age difference, but the fact that I think Casey has a bit more in his back pocket and that Manning doesn't quite have as deep of a cultivation ground as Casey does. There's just a few little factors that I think play into that. And I think both of them are going to be extremely valuable to politicize it just for Ralph. Um, they're both going to be extremely valuable, and I genuinely mean that. But I think with sizing up the two resumes, I think I would give a slight edge to Casey in this one. I
0: like it. I think I'd I think probably pitch- lean that way as well, right, Ralph?
1: It's the pitchability. Yeah, I think from a, from a real-life standpoint, like I said, with fantasy, I just think that – the swing and miss stuff with, with Manning makes him a a really intriguing prospect in that sense. Um, But if you're taking a step back and you're just looking at it from like team value. Yeah. I think, you know, he's the guy you look at him and I mean, he's just, he's able, his secondaries as, as Emily said, are so deep. He's able to manipulate him. He has elite feel. And that's something that you really can't teach. It's, it's, it's innate. You either have that or you don't. Um, So yeah, I, I totally agree in that sense, but I still think with the, the fantasy angle, that's why I lean Manning just because he's, he's funky. You know, he's nasty. I, I like that a little bit with my, uh, my fantasy pitchers. It's, it's, it's like a, a puck versus Lizardo kind of debate in some mm. senses. You know, a little bit more extreme with the Tigers guys because I think they might actually be a little bit better. But, you know, they're like the lefty versions. It's bookends.
0: <laughs> i like it and uh jumping to two other pitchers in the tiger system that i want to kind of want to get your thoughts on emily a uh, Tariq Skubal, lefty 22 years old he's in high right now he spent i think the entirety of 2019 there and bo burrows is yeah. one another one who i remember when me and ralph did our system previews a couple years ago he was in like that top tier of arms right next to a guy like manning and now it seems like he's fallen squarely behind so i guess number one wise burrows kind of fallen behind do you see him kind of rebounding at all and um, where does Screwball rank on kind of this spectrum of starting pitching? He probably doesn't have the most upside, but um, he seems again like another guy who's able to mix strikeouts with uh, decent control of the strike zone, which is super important, especially at lower levels for projection. So, uh, Burrows and Screwball give us the rundown.
2: Yeah, the uh, the struggle with Burroughs is that he was on the IL for about a month, which really kind of cut into his season. He was actually just activated, I want to say yesterday or the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, Through an outing for High Lakeland last night, um, did pretty well, um, put up some good numbers in that start. And um, the reason for him going on the aisle was tendinitis. Mm-hmm. I think in his shoulder, um, going off the top of my head. So um, for those listening, it was shoulder, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so just having him be um, on the sidelines for a bit, I think, Triggered a little bit of that. Obviously he had a chunk of time before he went on the IL. but um, for Bo it's, it's a very interesting conversation that comes up, especially with scouts, how some believe he's still a rotation guy. Other people believe he's going to end up in the bullpen. Um, So it's, it's a little bit of a head scratcher with him right now. I still absolutely love his fastball. His fastball Mm -hmm. is huge. And I think it's probably my favorite in the organization. Um, But just because of the fact that there's still some inconsistencies there with him, um, it makes me wonder if he would work better in like a little bit more of a condensed um, outing and be able to be a bit more effective. So for me personally, I haven't written him off as a starter yet, but I know that that conversation has come up. Will he stick in the rotation or will he have to shift? Uh, But that conversation has come up with other people. Gregory Soto had that on him. Spencer Turnbull had that on him at one point. And we're mm-hmm. seeing both of them starting for Detroit. So ultimately, yeah. I think it's going to come down to what's the biggest need going to be? Um, how are his strengths? Um, Sandy Baez was another one that they kept in the starting role for a long time and then moved him back to the bullpen. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I still think there's plenty there to work with. Um, he's just going to have to get healthy again and see where, uh, see where it plays out from there.
1: Do you think that's because Burroughs is so fastball heavy, just in terms of his arsenal and his pitch mix?
2: It, it very well could be. I know he's he's always had. I hate to compare pitchers, but he's always had a little bit more of an uphill battle purely because of his size. He doesn't have that same mm-hmm. lengthy build that like Casey Mize, Alex Faito, who's I think six five, wow. um, then Matt Manning, who's six six. They have so much downhill plane to work with. Bo is maybe six feet, um, so that's obviously a little bit of a a slip backwards in comparison to that natural downhill plane to work with. But for him, he's such a bulldog. Um, I always tell people him and Kyle Funkhauser are probably two of the most bullish pitchers Mm. (laughs) in the organization just because of how hard they will pound, pound, pound the zone. And so for Bo, I think that that has carried him really far. Um, He's extremely aggressive. He's fearless. He will just attack hitters left and right. But the body and the pitch mix have to be able to play off of that and do him some favors. So for him, he's going to have to show he's crafty enough and has good enough command, which he struggled with early on in his career, to be able to hold that rotation spot. And I think, well, in fact, I know the Tigers absolutely love him. They can't say enough good stuff about him, but he has to show he can hold that in order to stay in rotation consideration.
0: And you mentioned briefly there, Faito. He's another one who I think Ralph saw out in New Hampshire and wasn't too keen on, but he's had kind of a crazy good season. I mean, through 65 innings, yeah. his walk rate is way down and his strikeouts are way up. I, it, you know, I feel like for the most part, a lot of people had him as like almost a reliever of sorts, but um, that might have been because of the variety of injury problems that he had coming right out of Florida. But mm. at this point, Emily, do you view him as a starting pitcher? And um, if not, I guess what's kind of the role here? Is it more of like a two to three inning guy or do you think he could be back end of a bullpen?
2: Yeah. And that's another thing that I've spoken with scouts about this year, just because a lot of them are still scratching their heads going, okay, what's, what is this guy? Cause obviously last year had some pretty noticeable struggles. Um, and a mm-hmm. lot of people said, are you writing him off? And I said, I've got personally, I've got a rule where I do not write these guys off in their first year. Last year was Alex's first year, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that was his first full season of work. And he, he had some, some uphill battles he had to work through this year. You're seeing better stuff from him. And I think he's got his feet under him. I think that he's kind of learning a little bit more how to work against some of these double a hitters, because as you guys know, the Eastern league is a hitters league. There's very advanced hitters, smart hitters. They know how to read pitching a lot better and the only concern that I think I still have with Fajardo is the fact that his fastball is so hittable. Yep. Um, we see that in the home run counts. He had stretches where he was giving up seven, eight home runs over two or three games. And that is that is something that's going to raise some eyebrows. Personally, I think I could still see him as like a number four, maybe number five, um, depending on what they decide to do with him. But. I still, you know, and wording this very carefully, I I think he's got a ton of potential, but the mechanics still concern me from a durability perspective. I think that it's something where, you know, is is that going to hold out? You look at Max Scherzer, you look at the way he throws, and I always say Max Scherzer shouldn't even throw like Max Scherzer, but he makes it work from a mechanic standpoint. And so, The durability is still a concern for me. I love how much he's improved this year, and I think it's really promising. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think that there's going to be some work ahead of him to make sure he can maintain that.
1: I wanted to ask specifically on his slider, because what I've seen of Fado this year, the slider looks much improved. It really flattened out in my look last year. Um, Even that pitch at times was hittable. It seemed like he lacked a lot of command. Um, It didn't have a lot of two-plane movement. It was really more like it's a sweepy in on the hands. It didn't have much downward break at all. It seems like he's added a little bit more depth to that pitch. Do you know specifically if the Tigers, you know, development folks, pitching coaches had done any work with him in the off season or in spring training, make adjustments to grips. Is, is there anything that he changed specifically? Because it seems like a much sharper pitch this year than what I had seen last year during his time in the Eastern league
2: yeah, and I don't know of anything specifically that I was told. Um I think for for Fido, it's really just him getting more comfortable um because that pitch obviously had a lot of notoriety coming into the draft class. And what happened last year, I spoke to a couple of scouts um who saw him early on, and they just said there was no bite to it. You know, they said you could kind of see that it was there, but it just didn't have that bite that it had in college. And so because of the fact that I haven't heard specific major changes, um, I think it's more of a comfort thing for him because I think Mm. it has been there the whole time. But unfortunately, like we were saying earlier, a college arm isn't necessarily going to see the same success against minor league hitters. It's a different breed of hitters. They're more intelligent, obviously, depending on the level, you're going to see all different kinds of lineups, And so I think for him, it's just tapping back into that and saying, I could do this before I should be able to do it again. And now we're going to have to see if that can stand up against those types of hitters. And the Eastern league is a great place for that to test out because those guys know how to size up pitches and see how effective they are.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think it was good to see him make that adjustment. And like you said, it was his first full year and, you know, we look at the numbers in, in, in high a, I mean, comparably and I know it's not the same thing but you know it's a guy that faced sec competition he pitched in big games um you know i can't see that you know high a was probably much of a challenge based on some of the lineups and some of the bats that he probably already been facing for multiple years so i'm sure double a last year was a bit of a a culture shock and uh, i do agree on the mechanics a little bit it worries me for a guy that's had uh you know knee injuries with both of his knees and he's very upright and kind of has that you know uh he's not a drop and drive guy he's very you know sort of tall and fall in terms of his, his mechanics set up, but transition a little bit here to kind of wrap everything up. Um, are there any interesting players that are off the radar hitters or pitchers, um, that you're keeping an eye on in the tiger system right now that you want to let people know about?
2: Um, yeah I kind of wanted to jump back and apologize to Lance for completely dropping ball in the conversation there <laughs> no, don't worry. but um he he's the one that um it's funny I spoke with a couple scouts on the college side um when he was brought in and we joked a little bit that he kind of started to have this success because they finally gave him his own headshot on milb's website <laughs> after <laughs> not giving him I one for like a year and a half or something like that. So, um, you know, hey, now we actually can see that he has a face. So that's that's a plus. Um, But, you know, big guy, 6'3", lefty, um, out of Seattle, 22 years old. The biggest question around him um, that scouts had was they didn't know if he could hold a starting role. They thought he was better suited for more of a relief role um, just because there was some command concerns early on. Um, But as you can see, he's done very, very well for himself. I think he had to make a few adjustments um, as he kind of started to come up against some different lineups um, in the Florida State League. But I think he's he's intriguing. I'm not not calling him a top 30 guy just yet. Um, Still doing a little digging on that. But there's something there where, you know, if he can settle in and if he can get that pitch mix to work to his favor, I think there's definitely value there. And then, as far as um, some of the other guys who I think would say maybe more off the grid, um, I've been really impressed with um, the success of Cole Peterson in Double A. Um, he's somebody who I view as one of the top defensive shortstops across the league. Not Preach. even kidding. He's he is exceptional. And I told yeah. I told uh, theory fans I said, you know, you guys realize you've got the top. Shortstop and the top outfielder on your team right now. So if you're not going to games, what is wrong with you? Because you've got Derek Hill in the outfield who finds joy running into walls, and you've got Cole Peterson who will tie himself into a pretzel to catch a ball. So it's it's this is the time to go see Erie, and I'm actually going to go see them next weekend mm-hmm. um, in Akron. So looking forward to seeing those guys and what they're up to.
1: Yeah. And if Peterson's one of these guys, if he can hit enough, I mean, Lance, when I tell you he is a vacuum, like I was sitting there at that, my start, and he made three phenomenal plays, uh, two of them to his left, one to his right, got up, you know, gun guys down, the arm is right in line with that glove. And I I mean, if he's got a, he's an easy 70 defender. I mean, he's one of the best defensive shortstops I've ever seen. And it's the kind of thing where you came in. You weren't expect you know you didn't know sure. much about Cole Peterson. You might have seen the name in passing on a roster, but you walked away saying, "If this guy could hit two sixty, he's got a utility job for the next fifteen years mm-hmm. because his glove is that good, the arm is that good. Uh, yeah, he is. He's a standout defender. He's he's the kind of guy that you know only a baseball of true baseball fan would say this, but. I would go to a baseball game just to watch him play shortstop. Like he's that he's that That's good in awesome. the position. I don't think it's hyperbole either. I think everyone will back me up. I mean, he is, oh, yeah. he's phenomenal. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And I actually spoke to a scout about him the other day and he goes, he, he said he is literally the best shortstop I've seen all year. He goes, no question. Yeah. I would peg him as the best shortstop I've seen all year. And he said, if he can hit, that was the biggest question. So when he got that promotion to double a, I kind of sat back and held my breath because obviously you want to see him succeed, but it's, it's a whole nother ball game up there. And you have to be able to adapt. You've got to be able to show that you can make contact. And like what the scout was telling me about it, he goes, if he can hit, you know, if he can put up even decent numbers, he goes, that is a utility guy right there. That's a guy that you can pull off the bench that, you know, can go out and do some, some serious damage if you let him. And he's got a lot working in his favor. He's just got to be able to put the bat on the ball.
0: Emily, I know this weekend as well, you were, um, in Fort Wayne seeing Lake County, who I know you have definitely some thoughts on between guys like Will Benson and Tyler Freeman and Bo Naylor and, uh, Fort Wayne as well. I know from Joey Cantillo to a variety of other talents there, including to and Marcano and Xavier Edwards. And I know there's other teams that I'm probably missing right here, but those are the two that come to mind. So I wanted to kind of just get your thoughts on other teams, aside from the Tigers that you've seen in the Midwest league. And I, I have to imagine, let's start with Lake County just because you're, you're probably fresh in the mind with that. So, um... I know we're both on the Will Benson bandwagon. We're going to have to get Ralph on that probably on this podcast. And uh, <laughs> Bo Naylor is another one who is probably going to hang around that team a little bit longer. Um, but Freeman and Benson, I believe, were both promoted as you broke. So you got kind of the last looks at them. And um, the Midwest League, do you think they're ready for high? A?
2: You know, I think specifically, I think they are different defensively, I think it's going to be a good stretch for them both at the plate. Mm. um, Just because there are still swing and miss concerns with Benson, Um, obviously. And I will be the first to raise my hand on this and say, I am an absolute sucker for a Will Benson home run. And I've got (laughs) one of those when I was over there this weekend, he went back to back with Bo Naylor, who we'll talk about in a minute. Um, And the thing with Benson is that, he has such a well-trained eye, but I think with him, there's just still some some edges he's got to polish off. I think the profile itself has the makings of an incredible power hitter. Um, he actually told me over the weekend that he's kind of grown up trying to model himself after Miguel Cabrera, which if you're going to pick a hitting role model, that's about the best hitting role model you can sure. pick. So um, that's something that I know he said he, he's admired a lot of of the way that Miguel carries himself at the plate and you know, just his hitting habits and, and stuff like that. So for Benson, he still has a pretty high strikeout percentage. He's sitting at about 30% for the second year in a row, um, just turned 21 over the weekend. So he's still very young, but I think that's going to be a big focus of what needs to be adjusted to trim that down um, Because obviously you've got the power there, but much like in the case of Kristen Stewart, who we were just talking about off the air, so much potential there, but he's got to be able to recognize those pitches because his selling tool is his bat. Mm-hmm. And so moving forward, he's got to show that he can be as valuable as possible for the Indians in that case. And I think he's working his way there and he should be there eventually um, with uh, Tyler Freeman Smaller guy, much different profile, but very, very solid bat-to-ball skills. Very good, very good bat-to-ball skills. Um, Really good use of the barrel through the zone. Uh, Insanely low strikeout percentage. I don't know if you guys have looked at his numbers, but he has really been focusing on how he described it to me, waiting for pitches to hit. And I know the Lake County staff has worked to how the hitting coach described it, Jason Esposito, who's a fantastic guy. um, He's in his first year with Lake County, and he said, something I've been doing with these guys is throwing them tons of pitches in BP. So they're getting all kinds of pitches, and he's going, what's the pitch you want to hit? What's your pitch? And he's making them actually practice and train their eye to pick out what they believe they can make contact with and what they want to make contact with. And I really enjoyed hearing about that philosophy because I think when you've got these young hitters who project so highly, that's going to help them get polished earlier, and it's going to help them show what they're capable of when they get up to a higher level like high A.
0: No, absolutely. That's actually really funny you mentioned that too because I know that's something that Quad Cities does a ton. I saw them uh, a little bit last year and this year, and Ray Hernandez, their manager, will throw BP, and he'll do like a mixed fastball-curveball routine usually towards the end of BP, and then he'll flip around with that. And uh, he won't even tell guys what's coming. And he will throw like hard curve balls because he was a pitcher and I think in college too. So that's something that's becoming more prevalent development of batting practice. I think especially the lower levels of the minor leagues is developing beyond just the simple here 65 from like 45 feet hit it. You know, I think that's something that is a hundred percent great to see, especially on a team like the Indians who are so tapped in, I think analytically and uh, developmental wise Um, on Fort Wayne, I know, or actually, you know, Bo Naylor, we don't want to jump off Lake County. What's your, what are your thoughts on Bo Naylor? He's uh, He's probably going to stay at Lake County for the rest of the season. Um, what do you think he has to work on most?
2: Um, yeah, I liked what um, Esposito said about Naylor, which is he's a good hitter who's becoming even better. Mm. Um, I think for the Indians' perspective, there's no reason to push him. He's still 19, um, still very, very young, very raw, obviously comes from really good bloodlines with his brother, Josh, Um, But I think for now, it's just a focus on helping him, you know, hone in on just becoming tighter, becoming, you know, more disciplined, um, just being sharper at the plate. And obviously going back to back with uh, Will Benson over the weekend, it showed what power he's capable of. And so I think now it's just up to the Lake County staff to really bring more of that out in him. And then I think he should be able to move up pretty quickly after that. But much like a lot of these younger guys, there's no reason to push them. Um, but I think as far as uh, Benson and Freeman go, those two guys are in a place where they could use a new challenge. And I think this comes at the right time.
0: And now jumping to Fort Wayne, Xavier Edwards, be to can beat a Marcano, Joey Cantillo, Kate okay, Moser. There's a lot of guys on that team that I think not too many people know about. Um, maybe Marcano and Edwards are probably the two that pop and Ryan Weathers probably as well. But uh, I guess maybe going towards some of these uh, peripheral guys that I know you've written about. Um, I think you did like a, a five, you did a, a pack of five players that we're not necessarily the top on that team. I think you probably mentioned, I think you mentioned Edwards and weathers in there, but I believe if I remember correctly, the three other names you had uh, in that story for the athletic were guys that maybe Padre fans know, but outside of that aren't too well known. So uh, if you don't mind giving us the rundown on those guys, I think you had Cantillo, Augustine Reese and someone else in there, right?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, And it's funny whenever I do these little capsules, I always stress at the beginning I'm not saying these are the top players in the organization, uh-huh. because if you claim that, as you guys know, I'm sure you will get eaten for dinner sure. by the people <laughs> that disagree with you. And they'll say, no, 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 no. That's why did you not include him? And Why did you, that's not the purpose of what these are. These are more so the way that I've been writing them recently is guys who have performed well in the first half. I picked three guys for AAA Charlotte from the White Sox um, who I thought were interesting, wrote those guys up, did five for Fort Wayne, which, as we all know, the Padres farm system is a little slice of heaven yes. if you like prospects. <laughs> and so I'm, well, I welcome any opportunity to go see the Ten Caps play, just because they obviously graduated a whole group of guys from last year, including, um, you know, Tirso Ornelas, uh, Luis Patiño, um, some of these other guys too that were so well known and made that team so 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 tough last year. Um And so now it's an opportunity for them to take this next crop of 18 and 19 year old kids and really see what they're capable of. And, and I think it speaks very highly of the pitching, um the pitching coaches, the hitting coaches is obviously Anthony Contreras, who does such a good job as the manager for the 10 caps um, working alongside John Matthews, who's back for his, um, I want to say second or third year um, as the hitting coach. And then they have a new pitching coach in Matt Williams who actually played with um, Chris Kemp in college and Chris Kemp being the international scouting director for the Padres. So they've got kind of like this full circle connection um, within uh, the Padres front office, which is really cool to see. And I got a chance to talk to Matt Williams, um, really, really smart guy. He's very, very much enjoying the opportunity to work with some of these younger arms like Joey Cantillo, uh, Ryan Weathers, um, some of the other ones too. So, It's going to be, again, the staff's opportunity to show what they bring as far as development and then trying to bring that out in the players along the way.
0: Am I missing anyone else that you've seen in the Midwest League team-wise?
2: Um, I got the chance. I've seen quite a few other teams Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately not to call any of them out, but not all of them are quite as (laughs) deep (laughs) with, with prospects, but I know um, the South Bend Cubs, the Chicago Cubs class, a affiliate, they've got some interesting names coming up. Riley Thompson is one um, who has been a little bit of an off the radar arm. um, Who's done really well. They have a few young infielders who they've been bringing up. Um, guys whose names I would love to have right off the top of my head, but I'm not that awesome yet. Um, so there's, there's a few guys on that roster, um, that will be coming up that are worth paying attention to. Then obviously with Bowling Green, you have Wander Franco. And what else do you need if you (laughs) get to see Wander Franco? Because he's ridiculous for being as young as he is. And I've actually heard other players who you ask them, you know, who's the most polished hitter and they're all picking Wander Franco because that's what he is. He's just one of those exceptional talents um, who I think has just gained respect from not only the coaches, but also the players, you know, seeing how, how sharp he is. Um, So he's another one, obviously Nolan Gorman with Peoria. um, He's been able to kind of work through some growing pains. He had a little bit of a, a hitting slump earlier on in the first half Um, But he's been able to break out of that. And I think he's one that the Cardinals are really they're going to enjoy watching that back keep growing um, because I know it's going to be a lot of fun to watch once it's further along. So a lot of guys, a lot of guys to pay attention to um, Midwest League All-Star game is actually going on tonight, Um, probably getting wrapped up here soon. So we'll see what the second half holds for those guys.
1: Yeah, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous of Wander Franco looks. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe I'll get him for like. Actually, it's the raise, so they'll probably have him in AAA for two years. So I actually might get some <laughs> looks with Durham, but I, of course, and like Durham is in Pawtucket this week. They got rained out tonight, but uh, I'm gonna miss Brennan McKay too. Yeah, he got he, he's Friday. It's probably Saturday uh, now. Uh, it, it is a bit of a bummer. I was hoping to get out there. JP's actually coming out from Arizona. Hey. So he's going to be able to catch him. Yeah. We're just going to end up hitting a uh, short season, which is actually not bad. The Sox' uh, lull is pretty stacked. And in a minute after you talk, I'm going to ask Emily some questions and see who yes. I might get to see in Connecticut, because it's been a little dry the last couple of years as most of their good prospects haven't ended up in Connecticut for very long. If they're there at all.
0: Yeah, I just wanted a short segue because you mentioned Wander Franco and I was at the Home Run Derby last night for the Midwest League All-Star Game and I put together a little prediction bracket and I think I got every single matchup completely wrong, which is hilarious. <laughs> so so it was, you had Nolan Gorman and Nico Hulsizer on opposite sides of the bracket and Nolan Gorman, I was like, it's a lefty park. Like, it. I think it's 20 feet shorter in right field than left field south bed. And the wall's like 15 feet. So it's like, a lefty's clearly going to win. I was like, Gorman might win, but I really like Nico Holsizer from Great from Great Lakes, the Dodgers outfielder, who won the 2017 College Homer Derby from Moorhead State. Yeah. He's got a ton of raw. And I was like, I think he's a sneaky pick. So I went... Him and Gorman, and of course both of them get knocked out in the first round, and every other matchup I picked was completely wrong. So, uh, But Gorman, um, excuse me, Franco was celebrating when his teammate Chris Batts actually won the derby. He's got a really nice lofted lefty swing that was just perfect for the park and, for the home run derbies in general, I think he had like seven or more in each of his rounds. And I think I don't think anyone else hit more than seven. So he just kinda dominated. But Franco was one of the first ones out there running and congratulating him. And uh he's a ball of energy, I think is what I'm gonna say. I think the comp there in terms of just the energy levels like Lindor, from what I remember seeing back when he was in Akron, um, way back in the Eastern League and stuff. So that was a lot of fun seeing that, but I'm gonna pass it back to Ralph now. Um bad? Best-
1: Betts has an absolutely elite uh, bat flip, too. He did. Bat he like,
0: threw his bat, bat up <laughs> the first baseline like a mile. It was really it was an emphatic, emphatic bat flip. Oh, yeah. it,
1: it took, like, Tim Anderson's bat flip from earlier in the season and was like, I'll see you. And yeah, raise he's you, like, I, I want to see how far I can throw this. The video I, I retweeted I the I video add, immediately.
2: Can I just add that sure. when Will Benson hit his home run on Saturday – He I don't know if you guys saw the video. I posted the full video on my YouTube channel of his home run. He did the most subtle little just hop,
0: right? Yeah,
2: yeah. And just a little flick of the wrist of the bat, this little hop skip. And it was the most humble. I just kicked your butt trot around the bases that I think I'd seen all year.
0: I was thoroughly disappointed he was not in the Home Run Derby. I don't understand how he doesn't get into that. His swing is like, I know it's a little line driving, but he's hes just got such insane power. Like, I have to imagine he was asked, and he just didn't enter. I was, I'm was i really bummed about that. But
1: Wasn't he in 2018, though?
2: I was, I was He was, told. correct.
0: Yeah, he was. He was, you're yeah. right. Yeah, I, mean,
2: that's what I it was is. told that it was because of the fact that he had done it last year, uh, okay. and it was kind of a... Again, what I was told, kind of a mutual decision uh, between wow. Benson and with um, the Indians. So I think it was just him going, hey, you know, I this it's fun, sure. But one thing you've got to know about Will is you have this massive 6'5", maybe 6'6", 225-pound guy who is quite possibly the most humble person I have ever met. Mm. Um, somebody who is so low-key about his own stuff, but you ask him about... Tyler Freeman's development and he will talk about Tyler Freeman until the cows come home because he's (laughs) the kind of person that wants to promote his teammates, every chance he gets. And because of that, you're not going to hear him talk about himself as much, but that is the kind of guy that's going to succeed. And he's going to succeed because he can do it on the field. He can do it off the field. I think that's huge for him.
0: I love it. Ralph, take over with some draft questions, man.
1: Sure. So uh, the Tigers, you know, obviously got a great pick at number five with Riley green. But one of the things that's more interesting of the 40 rounds, they didn't go back to the prep player pool until round 39. I think it was Cade Darty, if I'm not mistaken in round 39. So they only had two prep picks throughout this entire draft. They had a couple of uh, Juco kids, but it was heavily, four-year college guys. And, you know, a few of them I saw on the Cape. I know I reached out to, um, you know, one of my favorite people that I've I've come across, one of my favorite players I've ever talked to, uh, his parents are great too. Uh, that'd be Bryant Packer that they got in the fifth round, had a hand injury. He's Carolina kid. And I really think it was a steal in round five um, based on, you know, the production this guy had the previous season when you factor in the hand injury. It's easy power. He's got great approach to the plate. Um, he's almost like a like a discount version of Michael Bush, and I don't mean that in any you know derogatory way because I think Michael Bush is a very good bat with potential All Star upside. I think this guy is a major leaguer, but I thought it was interesting that they went so college heavy. And there are a few guys here that I did actually see in the Cape last year. I saw a few games of Nick Quintana. I probably saw about Bryant Packard and Ryan Kreidler about ten times. I like Criedler a lot. I know I tried to hype him up to Lance uh, when he saw UCLA. Um, I think the, the carrying tool is really his arm. He's going to be a good in, infield defender, but I do think there's some sneaky bat to ball skills there. He's a good hitter. And another guy that I saw that really dropped off after last season, having a lot of hype, uh, a first round buzz, even kind of coming into the beginning of the 2019 draft season. And that was LSU righty. Um, Zach Hess. I saw him against Falmouth. He pushed that day, looked really good. And then I think he joined team USA. Just sort of talk about um, a little bit of his stock, but Who am I going to see in Connecticut? Because I don't think I saw Quintana, Kreidler, Hess, or Packer to sign there. Are those guys that are going to end up in West Michigan? Um, And what have you sort of heard from the organization just in terms of the philosophy? Because like I said, it was a very college-heavy draft.
2: It definitely was. And I think because of that, you're going to see more guys make the jump to West Michigan than go to Connecticut. Um, I think with the case of Riley green, I think he's going to move quick. Um, I think they're going to put him down in the Gulf coast league for a little bit, let him kind of get his feet wet. They did that with a couple guys last year who were more advanced, but it was like, Hey, let's, let's let you figure this out a minute and not, you know, have to jump in too quick. Um, and then I think Riley green could easily bypass Connecticut. If they like what they see, um, they did that with Cody Clemens last year, obviously who came out of Texas as a very advanced hitter went to West Michigan, did fairly well, um, and now he's in high this year. Um, So it's it's really going to come down to what they feel about how much load do we want to put on these guys, how tired are they. Obviously, some of them just came out of the college postseason, so some of them may get an extremely light workload. It's really just going to depend on what they show while they're in Lakeland at the complex, and then the team will likely decide from there.
1: All right. You kind of kind of took some wind out of my sails. <laughs> I'm, hoping, I'm hoping I can at least get Riley Green for a few weeks or something. I missed Parker Meadows last year, and then when, when Seal Perez, all the games in Connecticut, and the worst part is they were against um, Staten Island, and that was a stack rotation at that time. I believe Louis Gill was there, um, Contreras, and Clark Schmidt, and the, the multiple doubleheaders got rained out after being rained out in the previous weekend. It was brutal. I don't even think they made those games up. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping I can get a little bit. Cause I really like going to Dodd. It's a quick drive. It's a nice park, kind of quiet. Um, so yeah, I, I will say that I, I definitely think they might've gotten a couple of sleepers here, especially if they, you know, a guy like Hess, um, they can work with a little bit, help him to sort of regain this form. that he had, uh, coming into last year, he had a rough year with LSU. Every time I watched him, wasn't live, was on TV. Um, but he did not look good, but I do think that, you know, Packard and, and Kreidler have some skills, uh, and the same with Quintana. He wasn't great when I saw him in the Cape, but you know he spent um, his time pretty much hitting his entire career in Arizona. So I don't think he can can undersell that. But all right, hopefully I get some. I get some Connecticut love. I, I, I had I had pipe dreams last year that uh, I was going to get Casey Mize, and I, I knew that.
2: was Oh, good. bless you. I,
1: I got him this year though. I got him this year. Oh, they, they've been rough too. It's not like I've had a lot of opportunity to watch a lot of stack lineups in Connecticut. No, no shot at the Tigers in Connecticut or anything, but um, yeah, I, I just, I need something. Give me something to sink my teeth into so I can make that drive out to Dodd. I love we'll it. see
2: what kind of magic I can work over here. Yeah. You talk to him. You
1: say Ralph Lipschitz wants to get some video of these guys. Please help him out.
2: Next time I play chess with Al Avila, I'll be sure to drop that over to him.
1: <laughs> Tell him about the trade, Matthew Boyd, too. Yeah, please, geez, let him develop there. Keep Matthew Boyd. Keep him with these guys. I I, I, I pray he doesn't end up with the Yankees because um, what he's done with that slider has been phenomenal. That's the last thing I want to ask, Lance, if I can, before we let Emily go. What is your opinion on Matthew Boyd? Do you think the organization will move him, or do you think the Quintana-type return that we're hearing, which I really don't know if anyone could match Eloy and Cease, but (laughs) that Quintana-type return, is that kind of signaling that we're not moving this guy unless it's an absolute like stunner of a deal.
2: This is very much a kind of a twofold question that, yeah. as with other ones, yes, this question has come up repeatedly. Um, I look at the type of return that Justin Verlander got. I think if you're looking at a return like that for Justin Verlander, who is one of the best pitchers of this era. I don't think you're going to get a Cantana return. And it has frustrated Tigers fans, but this is the exact same situation that we have with J.D. Martinez, where they wanted a top 100, you know, top 50 prospect. They want, you know, the fans set very high expectations of so any organization this is going to happen. And you value your guys so much, and you want so much in return for them, but not to, not to belittle Matt Boyd, by any means, Matt has done incredible work. He's been so sharp, so effective. But I'm not seeing that large of a return for him. I would love to be wrong, but I just look and see what the market was when Verlander came out and when he made that deal with Houston. Obviously, the guys that he got back, they're not slouchy by any means. I think you've got guys that are going to contribute and they're going to be valuable but I don't think it's going to be all-star caliber. Um, I've been told that Luis Coutinho is not going to be available, so I hate to tell Tigers fans that, but if the Padres were to make a move, I don't think Luis is going to be on the table. So it's one of those things where it depends on the market, it depends on the need of other teams, and it depends on what the Tigers are going to agree to, which, in my opinion, I don't know if moving him when you could have him as a part of helping young pitching staff is the best idea, but it's ultimately going to come down to what they feel is best in the moment. You have the choice mm-hmm. of keeping him as a veteran arm for the Casey Mises and the Matt Mannings, or you move him on and you collect a few more pieces for the rebuild. So it, it could go multiple directions, but we're going to have to see what the team decides to do.
1: Yeah. And he has control until 2022 too. So I think that's obviously, you know, an element, all of it that you still have the guy potentially for three years, and I think that's probably what would be attractive to some teams. But I just don't know if uh, the prospect capital will be worth it. In my opinion, just based on what he's done, and uh, the fact you can have that guy if he continues to pitch the way he has, which he hasn't shown any signs that he won't. Um, three years of that, plus some of those other guys that might be up in a year or two, um, that changes things. That that you know that might uh, that might put the rebuild in the fast track. You can find some bats, especially in that park. It's a great place to hit
0: absolutely yeah i think that the the cost of of boyd from the arb standpoint is going to be low so uh, if there's anything that's going to boost it i guess it's that but yeah at the same time i guess we'll kind of see i feel like there's a lot of other kind of half year rentals that maybe teams are maybe a little more willing to go towards than a guy like boyd but i guess we'll kind of yeah. see on that um emily any parting thoughts on uh on anything We're, i think we we've uh we've taken all your time here on your uh, tuesday night so uh <laughs> <laughs> Here's the the floor is yours. Promote some stuff. We know you're doing a lot of stuff, so feel free to feel free to tell people where they can find you and uh, which writing and where to find you and where to read that.
2: Yeah, the the funny thing about what I am writing right now is, I was in the process of completing this work on Tyler Freeman and Will Benson um, for my Lake County write up, and lo and behold, the two get promoted. So if any teams fans want their players promoted, apparently all I have to do is write about them, and that'll happen. <laughs> So we'll we'll see how it goes through the rest of them. But no, in all seriousness, um, yeah, writing up three guys from my weekend with Lake County from this past weekend, um, hoping to run that in the next couple of days. Um, and then I will have a piece on Dylan's feast from the White Sox oh, cool. coming up. And also among the many things, my Tigers midseason top 30 will be up and available for everyone to read and disagree with and passionately argue over as they do every year. <laughs>
1: I love it. Ralph, send us off. All right. It's been another great episode with Emily Walden, our, uh, I guess, our third third host. I I think technically our third host. We haven't had anyone else on three times, so this is
2: awesome. (laughs) I feel special.
1: (laughs) You should. Great week. We'll be back again, hopefully, next.